1: Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX.
0: Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com.
2: And welcome back to Overnight America. Our guest we're having a hard time getting a hold of, author David Harsanyi. He writes for the National Review. He had a story about... Is Biden underperforming based on where Hillary was this time of year? And it's kind of interesting perspective in that sense. So we hope that we can get a hold of him. Uh, Producer Mike's going to keep trying to call, and I'm hoping that he answers. What I decided to do was send him another message, and I hope he responds here soon, because these were some pretty good articles. Sometimes these type of things happen. Who knows? Maybe he found himself eating a... Bunch of beef jerky, and he couldn't get to the phone in time. But I'm hoping we get to him here in a second. Uh, Might as well do this. There was a few things I was going to get to later in the hour. And CBS was bringing this up. Biden off the campaign trail. This is something that I was bringing up to Rich Rubino a little bit ago. And I wonder if that's a concerning thing for most people, taking your foot off the gas at a time like this. So eight days before the election. uh, Let's see. Newsbusters is a site I go to sometimes. I like uh, them. I think they do a good job at least pointing out, statistically speaking, when there are discrepancies in uh, the news, the main news networks, I should say, the ones that are over-the-air terrestrial, the CBS, the NBCs, and the uh, ABCs. So maybe I'll do that article here in a second. But joining us now, we have our guest. Woo! He uh, writes for the National Review, among other publications, David Harsanyi. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Thanks for having me. You had a couple of different articles, but there was one in particular that grabbed my attention. It had to do with the one where you were tracking the way Joe Biden was polling compared to where Hillary Clinton was this time in 2016. And I thought it was a fascinating look because a lot of times we're very quick to point out, oh, yeah, no, this happened in 2016. The polls were wrong and, you know, the pollsters were wrong and they didn't do this. They didn't factor in this and things like that. So I'm wondering... When you started to look, okay, then let's see where the polls were. Let's see how it played out. And you start to realize that Joe Biden is not on the same level as where Hillary Clinton was, where they thought it was a guarantee. However, they still think Joe Biden's a guarantee now. I wanted to talk to you about that article in the sense of why you think there's some skepticism that could be done, not only in the polling, but at least of how much Joe Biden thinks he's in the lead.
1: Well, I mean, I think after what happened last time, we, we should be skeptical, and there's nothing wrong with being skeptical of pollsters. They act like they have some kind of formula, you know, some kind of scientific scientific formula that, uh, is, you know, is weighted correctly all the time. But we know that that's not true. Um, so we take averages and we look at what's going on, and uh, usually they were right, and then in 2016 they weren't even right in that regard. So I went back and I just looked at some of the battleground states to see you know, what the spread was, at least at the, you know, on the same day, I forgot which day I wrote it, but whatever it was last week, where, you know, what was the spread between uh, the two candidates, Hillary and Trump or Biden and Trump? And and Hillary was uh, doing better in that spread, meaning, let's say, uh, you know, they're at 50 or 55. So the spread is five, things like that. And other than in Forgot with two states they were i think georgia and one other state maybe iowa uh he's you know he's he's underperforming hillary in the spread so you know if i was a democrat that would worry me a little bit because we heard the same sort of things last time so that was the main number i looked at i don't pretend to be some kind of poll expert you know looking at <laughs> cross tabs or whatever but uh i think that you know looking at the average like that matters
2: Yeah. And I think it does too. And I know that a lot of people, they have a distrust based on what happened in 2016. You've seen, some pollsters come out just recently saying that our industry is finished if we get it wrong again two elections in a row which is uh, an interesting take on it i know there's a lot of different things that you've been monitoring and watching on the campaign trail you know writing for the national review and you have a book out called first freedom a ride through america's enduring history with the gun and you know you, you look at different aspects of american life american people things like that what do you make of the whole hunter biden deal and the way that it's being covered in the media and also the way that people are just like hesitant to bring it up with joe biden
1: well that's a good question i think um you know there are two aspects to, to the to the whole thing one is you know the story itself what happened uh you know did joe biden benefit benefit financially from some kind of deal that his son was making while he was vice president or at work basically cashing in on on the biden name And the second one is how the media covers it. Now, for me, because I've been, you know, I've worked at newspapers and I've been in in, in journalism for a pretty long time. um, I think there's been just a massive corruption of journalism and journalistic ethics. And uh, the New York Post story followed all the standards that a story should follow. We have no reason. No one has ever said that, you know, the, the laptop is not hunters. No, you know, no one has denied that the emails are real. Uh, we have a on-the-source, um, sor- you know, on-the-record source who says that they, they were emails that he met with Joe Biden. All the parts, all those parts of the story, are are better and more corroborated than, let's say, the Atlantic story about how uh, George, uh, Donald Trump allegedly said these nasty things about soldiers. So, as far as journalism goes. I can't believe that they're not covering the story because it should be covered. Now, that doesn't mean you have to believe everything that's in it. It doesn't mean you don't chase down leads. It doesn't mean any of that. But it doesn't mean that you at least ask the candidate a specific question or more, if you can, about, about the emails. And they haven't done that. You know, they've asked him some sort of, like, this is what reporters do these days. They kind of frame it like, oh, Republicans are saying this and that about you. <laughs> you know, what do you have to say to that? And he's like, you know, they're liars, etc." But you should ask him specifically, have you ever um, benefited financially from any of Hunter's deals with like China? And why did you say you knew nothing about it when you were flying him to China when we see that you've met with uh, Ukrainian oil executives? Is it true? I mean, there are a lot of specific questions to ask.
2: And, yeah, the interesting thing to me is that sometimes the record changed a little when new information came out. So they modified what was then given to some of these different uh, committees. And, oh, all of a sudden we found these emails now that these Hunter Biden emails start popping up. And what I worry, too, about the media is that when Joe Biden kind of gives a non-answer, they they don't press him on it. And it does concern me when a major news network, one that wants to try to pride itself on integrity, would almost run defense for a candidate as opposed to trying to trying to dig for the truth. And a lot of times, like with this Hunter Biden thing, you could write an article up and say, here's the things that corro- corroborate the story. Here's some things that are murky that don't line up. Here's kind of where the timeline changed, but here's things where that have, people have uh, verified. The interesting thing is there's people going on the record here. It's not anonymous sources that they're used to and then, when it turns out to be untrue, they act like it you know they like it's no big deal because you know someone uh, duped us so we don't have to worry about that we were reporting something from an anonymous source or whatever you know in the past, they never had a problem with it now all of a sudden they do I don't know how people can look at that and say uh yeah this is uh this is not normal this is not what journalism should be all about. You should be trying to find the truth here, but you're not doing it
1: No, they're not doing it at all i mean i I'm not you know obviously. Listen, I, I've been writing for a while, and I'm not. I, you know, I don't know. People have read me, but if they haven't, I'm just. I just say that I, am not one of these people who gets hysterical over, or at least I don't think I am. You know, when these people get hysterical or or uh, overreacts to kind of media bias, right? I think that a lot of the media bias used to be that you have reporters who are biased. Yes, they're looking. Th- at the world through a different prism than, let's say, someone in the middle of the country in St. Louis or a conservative somewhere, and that's how they report the news because that's how they see the world. That's bad, but it's not you know the end of the end of the earth, right? Uh, or it's mm-hmm. not the end of their profession. But now you have a bunch of reporters, mostly political journalists, because there's still plenty of good journalists out there, but political journalists who are big names, and essentially. They work to get Joe Biden elected. That's what they do. They want Democrats to be elected. They play defense for him. They, they, um, you know, they conspire with big tech companies now to undermine and suppress information. They're against free speech. You have CNN media reporters who are against free expression. They want to suppress information. They don't want to allow people to speak because they've decided that the things those people are saying are wrong or hateful or whatever it is. And sometimes I agree with them on that end, but I don't agree that we should be trying to shut people down. We should never do that if, we're, if we really believe in liberalism, small L, real-life liberalism, which they do not. So I think it's a huge problem for America. I think this election, and because of the characters involved, you know, it's all exacerbated, but it's still there. And uh, Trump, just because Donald Trump's president doesn't give you an excuse to be unprofessional and to try to suppress information, and that's what they're doing.
2: Mm. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about your book, because um, First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the gun, mostly because we look at the different first time gun buyers lately. And a lot of them are um, not going to be voting for Donald Trump, which is a fascinating trend that you're seeing that happened over the last couple of months. So do you mind holding on after the break? No, not at all. This will be great. You can read his articles on the National Review. You can do a search for him for social media, too. David Harsanyi and H-A-R-S-A-N-Y-I. Just do a quick search for him, you know, on Twitter or just in the National Review. Or you can find his book on Amazon, which we're going to talk about next, First Freedom. This is Overnight America, KMOX. St. Louis's traffic station, KMOX. You can find his work, National Review, on their website. You can do a search for him and check out his articles. He writes daily, so it's pretty easy to see some of his latest work. David Harsanyi, uh, thank you so much for coming on to KMOX again and, and Spending some time with the people of St. Louis. That's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So your book uh, came out a couple of years ago and had some great rave reviews, some really great people said nice things about it. You had some people like uh, Ben Shapiro, David Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, things like that. Uh, It's called First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with a Gun. And I look at the trends for this year, and we saw this. Under President Obama, there would be certain times where there'd be a threat of the Second Amendment or he would say something and then people would flock to the gun stores and they would purchase and purchase and purchase. Still, it's difficult to find certain types of ammunition today. But what we saw recently... Uh, Since the summer and on, you're finding a lot of first time gun buyers that are purchasing uh, a firearm for their own protection, their home protection, whatever it may be. And they're noticing it's not just like a Republican thing. It's not like just, you know, in general, people are stocking up. It's a lot of first time home buyer or excuse me, uh, gun buyers that are actually planning to vote for Joe Biden, which I found fascinating. So that's almost like if you would have wrote the book today, you could probably do a whole chapter on that. I'm curious what your take is, uh, number one, when it comes to gun ownership in America today, the history of the gun and everything that leads up to where we are today, and maybe why there's a newfound fascination and appreciation for it.
1: Well, I mean, the the idea that only Republicans own guns is is recent, right? Uh, But before, in the, you know, maybe even 30 years ago, that wasn't, you know, it was much more uh, spread out. It wasn't a sort of, uh, um, defending gun rights wasn't a partisan issue as much. Now, that probably changed during the clinton years in the 90s but before then it wasn't anything of that nature i don't you know i wouldn't say especially just nationally even when uh, i lived in colorado for a while you know there are plenty of democrats there who had guns it's not like new york city you know where, where they don't let you have guns mm-hmm. but uh i think it's a good thing um obviously i think it's a good thing that people responsible people law-abiding people have firearms but i believe that um even if Democrats get them, I think that's good because I think that will, they will be democratic voters and they'll change, uh, maybe they'll temper and moderate the democratic party a bit on guns, which has gone, you know, at least from my perspective, pretty radical on the issue. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think people feel first with coronavirus, they felt helpless. And then as you've seen, it's obviously in St. Louis and elsewhere, people felt uh, defenseless. um, And when the law doesn't do their job people feel like they have to take matters into their own hands and they do and they do that by buying firearms in by the millions
2: are you uh working on any other books
1: uh yeah i'm working on a book about uh basically it's about how um we're we're becoming more and more like europe and that's a huge mistake both culturally morally and you know Uh in, in policy so that's my that's what i'm looking at next yeah
2: yeah, there's one thing I think Europe does good, and it's it, I, I wouldn't say this often, but I feel the way that they defend personal privacies when it comes to these tech giants. I, I look at that and say they try to put a little bit more power so that people don't get taken advantage of by these giant tech companies, the things that they can't control. And I thought, man, we there's some things we can take from Europe that would actually— do us good here and now we're looking at google going through a giant antitrust lawsuit if they have too much power here in the united states but yeah and i like that you're making comparisons like that i think so many times as a country we follow things like the paris accord and the united nations and we've seen a lot during the trump administration where we've paid closer attention to what's going on overseas when it comes to other uh, countries so that's going to be a popular book that's a good topic
1: I hope so. I mean, it's interesting that you brought up the tech thing. I mean, I agree with you sort of, but I also think that in European countries and basically the European Union moves forward with that kind of privacy protection. They also at the same time move forward with limiting free expression because the more control government has over tech, uh, the more they control speech. So I think that that's something to worry about. Yeah, it's great when the good guys let, you know, open up the, you know, the tech world to everyone, but what if the bad guys have that power? And I think that's something people need to think about. Yeah. And in Europe, that's certainly a problem.
2: Yeah, I, I think about all the different data breaches we've had and how helpless we are when the tech companies and the credit monitoring agencies and things can't protect their own data that really you didn't voluntarily give them. So you, it's not like you wanted them to have this info. They just had it, compiled it, and then now it's out there. And for the rest of your life, you're susceptible to some sort of cyber attack. But, you know, I, I look at the way that some of these other countries, if you know, here in the United States, companies like that get a slap on the wrist. And in Europe, man, they would have got billions and billions of dollars of fines. So I kind of like the pressure that they have to at least keep it up and you know not violate the uh, the the trust of every single person there in the country so um but you know the social media in general has just gone crazy here in the united states we look so close to the election in the way that they abuse their power to suppress information willy-nilly by the way they use it based on you know which way the wind's blowing to the people that are working there and it's very concerning to me knowing that we're close and you can't even find a hunter biden laptop story without someone that got demonetized or whatever online
1: yeah. I mean, I worry about that as well. But I, again, I also worry that if we allow government to get involved, that, that you know, you're going to, have, you, you know, it's complicated, but that you're going to have people who want to suppress information running that as well. And I just worry, I've always worried about government intervention, but now we're dealing with something so huge. And there are a few companies, obviously, that are gatekeepers and they're, they're massive and they control a lot of information. So it's definitely something to think about.
2: Do you have any fears going into the election next week? Anything that keeps you up worried at night?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't stay up worried at night. <laughs> I don't fear it that much, but <laughs> I sleep pretty well. Um, but uh, um, because, you know, we have the Second Amendment. But no. Nah. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I worry. I worry about Pennsylvania, for instance, where you have courts telling people they can just basically do whatever they want. You know, no you know, ballots three days later after the election doesn't even need a postmark, you know, drop it off wherever you want, do whatever you want. I think that if there's a, there's a close election, I worry that there's going to be a lot of problems there. I also worry that if the Republicans win, uh, you're going to see violence because these, I just don't think progressives can handle Donald Trump winning. I just don't think they can handle it mentally. Um, mm-hmm. And I also worry that if, you know, Democrats win, there'll be a lot of Republicans who simply won't believe that it could have happened. and And it's... It's important that we believe in the peaceful transfer of power and that we believe that, that, you know, the right people are in office, even if we disagree with them. And that's I think that's been corroded over the last four years, but maybe even since Bush v. Gore. You know, I think it's been a problem. I mean, Democrats can't lose a presidential election. It can only be stolen from them, and that's that's not mm-hmm. a good way to look at the country.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And what scares me the most is if they can't come to uh, an agreement of who actually won. And then Pelosi is (laughs) is for some reason given power. We roll around to January and uh, there's still no one named at that point. But I think that's part of the reason why you got to have nine in the Supreme Court. And that confirmation process going through tonight will be very valuable in the sense that if it does get to the point where there needs to be the justices to weigh in, it's not, you know, there's at least a deciding vote there. So that'll be important.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of this justice. I hope she will work out the way I believe. But I also worry that people will ignore the court at some point, as they have in the past in American history occasionally. And that could be dangerous because then you start to see states saying, well, if you're not going to listen to the court, I'm not going to listen to the court. And that, that causes a big, a big constitutional problem.
2: Oh, boy. All right. So, by the <laughs> way, people wanted to look you up online in some of the things you're doing in your books. Where can they find you?
1: Well, I, I happen to tweet a lot, unfortunately, so that's at David Harsani, H-A-R-S-A-N-Y-I, and you can, you know, there's links to my column there and and uh, my books and stuff like that in my
2: yeah. bio. David Harsani, and you can find on the National Review some of the different articles there, but yeah, links in the bio and the description, and then Amazon. Uh, check out his book. That's It's a fantastic book, by the way. Free, uh, first Freedom, a ride through America's enduring history with the gun. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on KMOX.
1: Anytime. Sorry, I was a little late there.
2: Oh, that's fine. This The conversation right. absolutely was great. So we'll have to bring you back on soon.
1: I appreciate that. Uh, Thank you.
2: And he joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. If you want to call in something you may have heard, something you want to talk about, we have about a half hour here to take some of your calls at 314 436 7900 or 800-925-1120. Looking forward to those on Overnight America KMOX.
0: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.
3: News Radio 1120
1: KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals.
2: I am really looking forward to taking a break from the politics and just trying to get away from it for a while. And Thursday is going to be a great day for that. We're going to air Jim White's Halloween Spooktacular. And it's going to be right here on this show. So 9 to Midnight, we'll do a three-hour special this Thursday. And then on Saturday is the special replay of the Halloween Spooktacular on KMOX Thursday night starting at 9. And I think that if you are a Jim White fan, this is one of those shows that you remember every single year. You cannot get away from that because that's something that Jim White just loved. And I wish I would have had some of this from before, but luckily we had a listener message me and he said, hey, I have some of these recorded. Would you like a copy of them? And I said, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So he has some other great Jim White things and KMOX things saved that I'm really, really looking forward to listening to. So one of the latest installments going down memory lane of KMOX history will be this Thursday night, my last show for the week. And then next week we have the election night coverage on Tuesday night. We're going to be doing things a little bit different. So KMOX is going to be covering this more like a news, like the newsroom gets to take over on Tuesday night. It's a general election night. That means I get relegated to a separate studio and I'm going to be doing the digital side of things. So apparently I'm going to be on a live video on all of our Facebook's and Twitter's, and I don't know if they're... Hopefully, they put the link up on the website. But you can actually follow along with me live as the night progresses. And I think, for the most part, I'm just going to be sitting in a studio, watching a television, talking to different uh, people here at KMOX, and we'll have different guests on. And it's going to be a nice live video presentation for us to enjoy all night long on election night. And I think that you will enjoy it as well. So hopefully, hopefully, next Tuesday night will be one... That we'll remember or not. It could be one of those nights where we'll forget it. The only thing we'll remember is actually that there was no actual president declared that night. I just have no idea what's going to happen. And I know you're going to be watching and waiting, too, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say. So I'm hoping that maybe we can take phone calls and do things during that side of it. We will just won't know. All right. I wanted to bring this up real quick, and I was looking at an article that came up from uh, the Media Research Center. I think they're a good organization. I do like that they take the time to comb through broadcast, and they'll break down when there's a discrepancy or some sort of it's widely unbalanced when there's a, like the network news covers and what they decide to cover and what they don't decide to cover. So what I wanted to point out was this one thing that they bring up in CBS this morning was talking a little bit about the factor of Joe Biden not going and taking a more active role on the campaign trail. I thought this was interesting. Uh, ABC covered it some, more or less ABC made it sound like Joe Biden was more active than he was. CBS, I think, was a little bit more straightforward with reporter ed o'keefe let me play this for you real quick because i think a lot of people are wondering uh why why take this sort of strategy when you're uh, what a week out from the general election he
4: spent the weekend uh campaigning in pennsylvania held two different appearances there One in suburban Philadelphia, another up closer to his hometown of Scranton, Pennsylvania, where he was born. Uh, He is off the trail
2: today. All right. So this was Monday. This is, you know, today he was off the trail and over the weekend spent time in Pennsylvania. Now, let me just try to set the scene if you haven't actually seen what it looked like for him to be out there. So he had a big backdrop. He had hay bales and pumpkins. (laughs) Okay, so, hey, Pennsylvania. And then he had a giant teleprompter in front of him helping him get through the speech because, you know, he needs it. And then you turn around, and the reporters there were trying to count how many people were there. So it's one of those drive-ins. So you brought your car, and they parked you like in a parking lot, like it's a drive-in theater. And they tried to separate it every uh, every other parking spot. Then the people had the option of, like, standing out of their car as long as they're in their one side and they're totally socially distanced from everyone else. So the person was counting, they said, "Eh, about 130 cars are here. Then they noted that during this rally, there were more Trump supporters outside of the rally making noise and protesting or doing their thing for Donald Trump than there were that actually showed up for Joe Biden. The sad thing is... He brings out John Bon Jovi to play some songs. (laughs) So you have Bon Jovi's wearing the aviator glasses. And he's playing his music to probably the smallest crowd he's played to since he started his career. And he's probably thinking to himself, man, if I can't bring people out, there must be zero enthusiasm right now for Bon Jovi. So, yeah, I think they're starting to realize maybe the reason why Joe Biden is off the campaign trail is that, He's getting embarrassed based on the crowds that he's drawing. I mean, that could be a possibility.
4: Uh, He is off the trail today. Look, it seems that he's going out two, three times a week and skipping a day in between. They continue to insist that they can hold virtual events, that he can do this uh, and still reach voters. And I don't think we're really going to get a good measure on whether or not that worked, of course, until we have results. It either will have been a brilliant play and an adaptive move to the pandemic era. Or it's going to prove to be one of the biggest missed opportunities in American politics that he wasn't out and about.
2: You know, and Richard Bino brings it up and said it's like a Dewey Truman type of deal. Dewey in mentioning, hey, take your foot off the gas and start to roll back. That should concern you. There's a lot of people that would look at a Joe Biden right now and saying that the mental decline is something that has inhibited him from being able to be on the full force campaign trail right now. So when you have a candidate a week before the election that's running on the major party for president of the United States and he can't do a five-day work week, ooh, boy, um, that's tough. And I think it does play into the worries that a lot of people have, that he is just declining mentally and they're doing everything they can to try to hide it or cover it up. And we've seen it even over the weekend. There was a couple of these virtual messages he gave that, maybe i'll play some replay clips for you in a moment
4: meanwhile look at the president holding multiple rallies today in pennsylvania look where he's going in the states that he's visited over the weekend he was in suburban milwaukee in a very republican part of that state trying to turn out republican voters a republican part of north carolina not the suburbs of charlotte or raleigh necessarily trying to find swing voters he goes up to new hampshire yesterday for some reason despite the fact that biden is leading him there by several single digits and yeah. then goes all the way to northern Maine to pick apples and try yeah. to turn out Republican voters in that one congressional district that can actually dole out its electoral college vote.
2: Just like Rich Rubino brought up. So that was uh, CBS and uh, O'Keefe reporting there. Let's go to uh, Jeff, who's calling in from Ferguson. Welcome to Overnight America.
3: Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call this evening. Sure. Yeah, um, a couple things about the rallies I want to bring, uh, bring up. Or just wondering about, I would really like to see. Would have liked to have seen if there was none of these COVID restrictions or anything. I know, I know, Trump doesn't really with the rallies are with the restrictions. But I would kind of like to see if there was no restrictions. What type of ra- uh, just regular traditional rally? What kind of turnout Biden would have had if he wasn't doing the, the if he wasn't doing all the restrictions and distancing and all that.
2: Oh, so you think perhaps they're using COVID as an excuse to cover for the lack of enthusiasm?
3: Yeah, I'm just kind of curious that there was no restriction, just regular thing, how many people would actually show up.
2: Hillary Clinton couldn't draw a crowd either. Now, remember, she spent a lot of time away and spent uh, basically letting her surrogates go to all of these different locations, even when Bill Clinton would go in on her behalf to a certain location or whatever it is. He drew draw a couple hundred people. It's not like he had these giant rallies going on yeah. either. So there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm in 2016 either.
3: Oh, yeah, and I know Trump draws a crowd and all that stuff. I, I, like I said, I'm just curious what how think would have been different if we didn't have all this. It's how, they would have, it's how it would have looked.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. That's very good. You doing all right, Jeff?
3: Oh, yeah. It was an interesting night in my neighborhood. Yeah, I, know. My I saw
2: your social media, and everything going on. Um, okay, yeah, thanks for tweeting, and thanks for the comments. Good to hear from you tonight. All right, good night. Let me just play this real quick before we go to break, and really I'd love to hear from you. 314-436-7900. So this was, here's Joe Biden over the weekend, one of the moments that a lot of people were scratching their head over. Listen and see if you can tell where he, where he struggles. This is the
5: most consequent, not because I'm running, because who i'm running against this is the most consequential election uh in a, in a long 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 time and the character of the country in my view is literally on the ballot what kind of country we're going to be four more years of george Georgia, he uh, is going to find ourselves in a position where if uh trump gets elected uh we're going to be uh we're going to be in a different world and uh and so
2: Four more years of uh, George Bush. He was trying to think of the name of the former president. And yes, I think the networks tried to run to his defense, but I'm not buying their defense that he meant to say the re- uh, the interviewer's name, who's also George. I think when he was talking in the context of presidents, and he goes back to George Bush, that he realizes that he made a mistake, tried to cover for it, and then frantically tried to find the right words. What kind of
5: country we're going to be? Four more years of George Georgia, he's going to find ourselves in a position.
2: Four more years of Georgia. Hey, uh, uh, when you're talking about four more years, you know that he messed up because he he thought about that. And immediately the networks jumped to his defense and said, oh, no, no, you didn't forget the name of the president of the United States. But he absolutely just forgot the name of the president of the United States. And that's just one of the things from this weekend. And also in Pennsylvania, here's one where he was part of the rally and. He's commenting on all the different Trump supporters that showed up outside the rally.
5: I'll work as hard for those who don't support me as those who do, including those chumps with the microphone out there.
2: Look, (laughs) Okay, I'm going to support you. I'm going to support the American people, even you chumps. (laughs) You must have been frustrated that there are more people out there to show their unsupport, their their their. I don't want to say dissupport, their their disapproval of him, than there were actually people that showed their approval of him. We'll take some of your calls, hopefully, coming up next on Overnight America KMOX.
0: Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts.
2: michaelsflooringoutlet.com Overnight America is live up until midnight, and if you wanted to join us now you can because we're going to be joined by a very special guest next hour talking about oldest St. Louis and author NeNe Harris. I'm a big fan of her work. I wanted to talk about the stimulus and if we're going to have another one, but really there hasn't been much in the way of anything when it comes to stimulus talk. I mean, the big story of the night is what happened in the Supreme court and the voting has been in and we have ourselves a new Supreme court justice.
3: Are there any senators in the chamber who wish to vote or, change their vote. If not, on this vote, the a's are 52, the nays are 48. The nomination of Amy Coney Barrett of Indiana to be an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States is confirmed.
2: I like the enthusiasm. Is confirmed. You know is confirmed instead of going down is confirmed is confirmed it's good the inflection there really works out pretty well so i wanted to maybe play a couple more clips here and it's the joe biden thing over the weekend there's just been so many of these different moments where he doesn't really get any sort of criticism for the the misspeaks the problems the gaffes things like that this was over the weekend too on sunday when he was given <laughs> listen to this
5: secondly we're in a situation where we have put together, and you guys did, did it for our administration, the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud
2: organization in the history of American politics. Oh, boy. Wow. So are you saying the DNC is the most inclusive voter fraud organization? in the history of politics oh man i i don't exactly know where he was going with that one so if you were to see the video you can tell he's kind of looking down and he's lost his train of thought and he doesn't exactly know where to go maybe his teleprompter went down or whatever so he started to started to scramble and rely on the noggin and it didn't it did not help him there and that's moments like these you wonder okay so voter fraud organization so it's good thing that if you're going to run a voter fraud organization that you are absolutely inclusive to bring in other people of different backgrounds that is very important so I'm glad Joe Biden put a emphasis on that it reminds me of probably one of the best moments he had during well I think this was after he was vice president I think it was at, I think it was the year after he was out of office he went back to the Uh, hometown in Delaware where he and during high school I believe it was his high school years where he worked at the local community pool and he was telling his stories to all the people that worked at the pool because they were renaming the building after him or something like that so he was reminiscing on all the great moments and all the great things that happened there he was talking about getting in fights and you know corn pop was a bad dude and this is all the great moments but the one that really stands out Because now in retrospect, we can realize all of these creepy moments he's had with uh, women and girls, publicly documented, by the way. When you hear things like this, you start to wonder, why would you tell this? And by the way, you know,
5: I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of I got hairy legs that turn that 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 turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool. And rub my leg down so it was straight. And then watch the hair come back up again. they look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. And I tell you
3: what. <laughs> Why would you say that?
2: <laughs> and he's never explained what he meant by roaches. But if you go back and look at the terminology of what that meant back in the day to him. And what it would have meant to him during, uh, for anyone at that age level, then you know what that means. And it's not good. It's it's a uh, racial term, which is not good at all. But just the fact that he would be in a group around children and say, "I love kids on my lap," and I love, <laughs> and the kids would rub my legs in the pool. <laughs> Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. But this is just a couple of years ago. Maybe it was kind of at the start of the decline, and it led at least to one pretty awesome song.
5: I got hairy legs Hairy legs that turn blonde In the sun In the sun Just my legs From the morning Until the
0: day's done so the day's done I got hairy legs Yeah, that's right You heard what I said You
5: heard what I said I got hairy legs Yeah man the we hair start, come back up again. I'm the guy with the best chance it's to win. It's only 56, not up yet. Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys, a bad crew. Like, yeah, yes, sir. I really was the only white guy that really knew. He said I'll meet you outside.
4: And I said, What am I gonna do? Corn he can't stop. Corn Poppy won't stop, Jim.
2: Thank you. Now I gotta say we're probably a week removed from never playing that again. If that's the case, uh, it's going I'm gonna miss playing that song. Oh, I got a lot of use out of that, a lot of mileage out of that internet song. If you remember, there was an internet sensation where there was a news report, and you would have these three people. I think it was two guys one gal and they would do these type of like remix songs with the auto tune and their very first famous one was the guy that did the hide your kids hide your wife hide the kids hide the wife it was a news report where someone tried to break into his sister's apartment or whatever, and he's doing it, and he's, he's like trash-talking. He's like, man, we got your fingerprints and everything. So they did this like song remix of it. He became immensely popular, like over 100 million downloads on this thing, and people still remember it, and this was well over 10 years ago. So that's the same group. They're still making songs like that online, and they did one for the debates and things, and they're still pretty popular and very creative in that sense. I'm going to miss playing that one. I'm going to have to try to find another one to get on to at some point. We're going to talk to local author Nini Harris just after the news here at ten o'clock. And maybe you're listening to this on the replay. You can go find it in the podcast at kmox.com/ona. Another big thing is on Facebook, Ryan Wrecker Radio. I hope that we get to connect. I hope that you like me on there. Nini Harris coming up next on Overnight America, KMox.